This morning's reading is from Nehemiah 11 and 12. Um, I'll be reading Nehemiah 11 verses 1 to 3 and then skipping down to read chapter 12, 27 to 43. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And then down to chapter 12, verses 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah. And Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Azariah, Ezra, and Jeremiah. And certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Methana, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Milalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went north and I followed with them I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hanal Hananel and the Tower of the Hundred to the Sheep Gate, and they came to a halt at the Gate of the Guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Minimim, Micaiah, Elioni, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehoiannan, Micaiah, Elim, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chloe. Um, kids, do you want to head out for? your kids ministry. It was uh, great to hear how vocal the babies were as well whenever Gabs was being interviewed there. Obviously, they're very supportive of her appointment as well to that role, which is good. So um, it's really good to see you this morning. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors in in the church here. 
Um, <clears throat> this morning, I want to start by um, talking about something that you've maybe seen on social media before. It's kind of been a bit of a fad for a while, um, where people share two pictures. Um, one is a picture that has kind of a, a line below it that says how things started, and then a picture beside that, that says how things are going. You've maybe seen that before, have you? Yeah? It's usually like, maybe like body transformations or, you know, uh, a job that you started before and a job that you're now in. Um, and, I, and this week, I, I kind of had, uh, as I was thinking about Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, and as I was thinking about our church family, I had this kind of a how things started, how things are going here in Village moment. Um, it got me looking back through some pictures of the last 11, 12 years of our church family here, flicking through the the family photo album, as you, as you were, and uh, it, was, it was so encouraging, it really was. It was uh, amazing to just look back at how things started and how things are going and what God has done. There are a few pictures that you'll see on the screen here. This was uh, in the early days in Village, not even whenever it kind of fit, things first started. Um, it was even smaller than that, but this was in uh, Cook Presbyterian Halls. I wasn't there at this point. Um, Jean and I came a little bit later than that whenever we started to meet here, but um, this is over on the Ormo Road. Um, Thomas and, and John and a few others you can see there. It's a bit of a grainy picture. It's a bit older now, but um, a few people in the room who were there in those days. Um, uh, then things progressed um, as we got this building. Here's where, where things started here, which is amazing, isn't it, to see the difference in the room now. Um, that was in I think 2016, around about that, 2015, 2016. Um, uh, and then uh, we started meeting, certainly in this building, I think it was 2016. Um, and here's then a picture four years after that moment um, of how things were going. There's Thomas and Laura at the front leading, leading us in worship that day. Um, and I don't say any of this as we look at those pictures as a kind of way, hey, you know, look, look what's happened, look how brilliant it is. We know as has been said lots of times this morning, it's God who does great things amongst us. It's God who does great things in us and through us. And it's God who, who builds the house. He's the one at work here. But as you look over those last 12 years, there are plenty of ups and downs, plenty of things that will fill our hearts with joy as we remember them. Also things that we're maybe sad about too. Um, but as I was thinking about that um, and all that God has done, what I think God has been doing from the earliest days until now, until this very moment, what he continues to do is gather a people to himself and to one another who have a genuine desire and hunger to see him glorified and made known in this world. I think there's always been that hunger and that desire in our church from the earliest days until now. God is, is gathering a people, a people who on one hand display the beauty of his image, but then on the other hand also display the brokenness of sin and he's just gathering them to himself and he, he's changing them from the inside out, transforming them to worship him, to live for him, to reflect his image and his glory once again in this world. That's the way God works. It's the way God has always worked. It's a pattern we see in our church family as we look down through the years. It's a, it's a pattern we see throughout history as we look down through the years of the church as well. It's a pattern we also see here in Scripture, as we read God's Word together, God accomplishes His plans and purposes in this world. He establishes His kingdom here on earth. 
through gathering and transforming the lives of ordinary people so that as a community, as a, as a gathered people, we would declare and display the glory of God, display his glory to this world out there, the one who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the purpose to which he has called us. And in Nehemiah 11 and 12, we see this pattern being played out. God is gathering a people to himself to accomplish his plans and purposes. Specifically, in this time in the book of Nehemiah, the purpose was to rebuild the temple and the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And we get a picture of what it looks like for God's people to respond to the work he's doing in them and through them. They respond, as we see, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with joy to the Lord. It's a passage with loads of names. We didn't read them all. We could have read them all. I didn't want to put Chloe through that, but she did well with the names that she was given. But in many ways, what I want to do this morning is just kind of take us on a a flyover of chapter 11 and 12 and give us the two big themes that I think CWC come out of this. Two two themes which show us the marker of God's people or two distinctives of God's people. The God's people are a gathered people and a grateful people. A gathered people and a grateful people. So, before we get going, I'm going to pray for us, ask for God's help, and then we're going to look at these two chapters together and see how they apply to us as the church here now in our day here in Belfast. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how in your word we can see who you are, what you're like. We can see the way that you work um, and how... uh, You've called us as your people here in this day to come together to accomplish your plans and purposes in this world, to reflect your glory and your goodness and your grace to those around us. Lord, we pray that you would work in us this morning by your word, that by your spirit, Lord, as well, that you would reveal us, reveal to us yourself, more of yourself, that you would deepen our understanding of who you are, deepen our love for you. Uh, And Lord, I pray that we'd be changed so that we would leave from here and declare your glory and your praises to the world around us. We pray these things in in your name. Amen. So let's look at the first few verses of Nehemiah 11 together again. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Well, we've seen over these last number of weeks as we've studied the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that the people of God have been working to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem. The city, many years before it had been ambushed, it had been destroyed by the Babylonians, and God's people had been captured and taken off into captivity in Babylon. They've been there for 70 years, but then... God, in his grace and in his kindness and his faithfulness to his promises, he's made the way for them to return home to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city and the temple, which had been laid in waste for so many years. And here at this point in chapter 11, the temple has been rebuilt, the walls have been restored, but the city of Jerusalem itself is basically uninhabited. So there's no one really living inside the city at that time. And that's not what God had intended for his people in bringing them back home to Jerusalem. God's big intention in gathering his people was to see them living in his place, 
and living out his purposes. And what were those purposes? Well, that together they would worship him. Together they would live according to his word and in his ways. And in doing that, together then, they would display his glory and his goodness to the nations around them. God said that many times in the Old Testament. One of those is, an example of that is in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He said he would bring his people back, this remnant of Israel, that he would restore them and he would make them a light for the nations. Why? So that his salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God has brought his people back to Jerusalem, to this holy city, to the place in the Old Testament that was special and significant, the place where where God's presence dwelt in a unique way with his people in the temple, where they could worship him in a unique way. God had restored them and he blessed them and he did it all for the purpose so that they could then be a blessing to others. Remember the covenant promise he made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12? I will bless you so that you will then be a blessing. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. That was God's sovereign plan and purpose for his people. But what we see in in chapter 11 here is the people who'd gathered together to do the work that God had called them to and restore in the city walls, they're now a people who've scattered. They're, They're living out in their ancestral towns and villages surrounding Jerusalem. First, one tells us there are some of the leaders there in the city, but the people are not. And so Nehemiah says they gather one out of every 10 people to be chosen to come and to live inside the city, to repopulate Jerusalem. And what's happening here is the people of God are once again being gathered for the purposes of God. That list of names in chapter 11, these are are people who are putting aside their own comfort, their own preferences, their own plans, and they are seeking to be the people who God is calling them to be. And so here's the first thing I think we can see that's highlighted in this passage, and it's that God's people, we as God's people, are a gathered people. A gathered people. God's intention for the people of Israel was not for them to be brought out of captivity, to be rescued, and then just to scatter and to live these kind of individualistic lives, going about their work, their social lives, their spiritual lives in isolation, distanced, separated from one another. God's intention has always been to gather a people for himself who would worship him and live for him together. And in doing that, together they would display and declare his glory and his grace and his goodness to others around. That's the pattern we we see in Scripture. It's what we see happening here in this long list of names. And it's still what God is doing here amongst us today. God is still at work in gathering his people for the purposes of displaying his glory and his grace to the world out there. That's why we as his people are gathered here at Village. That's the purpose he's given us now as his people. He's gathered us to worship him, to live for him, to serve him, to delight in him, to do all of that in such a way that we would display his glory to others around us. He's gathered us and restored us to be a beacon of light in this dark world. That's why we gather here every Sunday as God's people. We don't gather out of habit or religious routine. 
The purpose of why we gather here is to glorify God, to worship him together, to collectively testify to this world of the grace and the goodness of God in our lives. We gather as as this diverse group of people with different backgrounds, different gifts, and we are united in Jesus Christ to celebrate and to praise God for all that he has done, for all that he is doing in and through us in this world. That's why our, our gatherings here as God's people are so significant, so special. But being gathered as God's people, it isn't just limited to this time here on a Sunday. We gather as God's people in our homes as well, as missional communities. We gather as God's people to pray here on a Monday evening. We don't just gather in formal, organized ways either. Our lives are intertwined with one another. We gather as God's people in coffee shops during the week, at the park with our kids, in the back garden around the barbecue or the fire pit with friends who are from outside of this church family as well. We gather around the table in each other's homes. We share meals together. We share stories together, share struggles. We laugh together. We cry together. We celebrate together. We mourn together. So many moments, so many settings where we gather together as the people of God and display his grace and his goodness in our lives. I was thinking this week about about Jesus' words in Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You see, what, what makes our gathering so special, so significant, is that in all those moments that I mentioned, Jesus Christ is there with us. In the planned and the unplanned, in the big and the small, Christ is there with his people by the power of his spirit. This morning, right now, as we gather proclaiming the greatness of Jesus through our prayers, through our songs, through listening and responding to his word, Jesus Christ is here with us. As you gather as an MC during the week to eat together, to open God's word together, to encourage each other in living for Jesus, God, by his spirit, is there with us. As we gather on a Monday evening to pray for our church, to praise God for what he's doing in and through us, to ask for his help, to seek his will and his wisdom in our lives. Christ is present with us. Parents, as you seek to to bring your children up to know the Lord, as you maybe open God's word and pray with your kids, and you wonder if it's having any kind of impact as they run wild, Christ is present with you in that. As you go for a walk with someone in our church family to bear their burdens as they go through difficult things in life at the moment, Christ is there with you. It's a deep and it's a profound thing to think about, isn't it? And what we see throughout the books of of Ezra and Nehemiah, what we see throughout scripture is that the devil hates when God's people gather to accomplish God's purposes. He hates it. He'll do whatever he can to oppose it. He wants to stop us moving closer to God and moving closer to each other. He wants us to lose the beauty and the blessing of gathering as God's people. He wants us to to choose individualism over being in intimate relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us to, 
to serve ourselves and our own needs rather than serving the needs of others around us. But God calls us as his people to be different. So I want to stop for a moment and just press into this a little bit. I want to ask you how you view the gathering of God's people. Formal and informal, scheduled or unscheduled. Gathering here as a a whole church family on a Sunday morning. Gathering together as an MC for family dinner during the week. Gathering to pray with others in our church family on a Monday. Those are maybe some of the more formal, organized ways that we gather, but how do you view them? Are they meaningful or mundane? Are they gatherings which have become ritualistic to you? rather than redemptive or, or spiritually formative? Are they more the done thing rather than a truly life-given thing? Do you see the beauty and the significance of gathering as God's people? What God is doing in us, what he has called us to, why he has gathered us together as the family of God, gathered for a purpose, to declare and display his glory and his goodness and his grace to the world around us. God's people are a gathered people. But in chapter 12, we we also see that God's people are a grateful people. They're a grateful people. The people of God, what we see in in chapter 12, is they've gathered in the city of Jerusalem now. The temple and the walls have been rebuilt. They've experienced the, the goodness of God as he's led them out of captivity and he's protected them in all of their endeavors. They've been restored as his people, and now they are ready to give thanks. They are ready to really celebrate. Look at verse 27. And at the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So they've got the full band together, the cymbals, the harps, the lyres. They're ready to rock and roll. And and I think one of the most striking things to notice about this chapter is how often music and song is mentioned. You see that? It's filled with people singing and playing music and leading others in song worship. It's amazing. Because as the people of God gather to celebrate the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem, their hearts are just filled with so much thanksgiving to God for what he has done. It, It just naturally overflows in this singing and praise. Look at verse 31. Then Nehemiah talks here and he says, then I brought the the leaders of Judah up onto the walls and I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. So they've got these two choirs that are raised up kind of on the walls, marching around the city. And look at verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. The ovens? Is it ovens? Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't even know. It's written, but it's maybe all correct here in my, in my, uh, my iPad. It's ovens. Is it? Okay. I was like, look at this being like, ovens? Okay. So it is ovens on the broad wall. <laughs> That's iPad for you whenever you're like, oh, you're letting me down maybe. Um, And then look at verse 40. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And then it gives a list of the priests who were there serving in their work. Uh, And then at the end of verse 42, it says, and the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. And verse 43, I think is amazing. 
And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. It's amazing. Just take a moment and and imagine what it must have been like to be there. I, I was trying to think of what a moment like this has been in my life. The closest I could get was um, thinking of like an Ulster rugby match there, Aviva Stadium, going to see Ulster against Leinster. And I remember going, and we were all walking towards the Aviva Stadium, and there were just crowds of people were there, and people were singing already. The game hadn't even started. There was just a, a kind of a carnival atmosphere. There was smiling faces everywhere. You, you can maybe think of a, a similar experience in your life. As you, you read it, you get a picture of what this moment must have been like. It's just an overwhelmingly joyful occasion. It really is. Verse 43 alone, it says six times a word that relates to joy. Joy or rejoicing. There's loud, raucous cheering and singing. They're excited, the people, to be back home in the city of God. They're up on the walls, they're marching to the temple, and when they get there, they have the most incredible church service ever. And all the people are involved in this celebration. I love that it mentions the children as being part of the worship, the joy that they had. I love that. This is a, it's a glimpse of heaven, isn't it? It's a picture of that great multitude of God's people in Revelation 7 who are gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation before the throne, and they're just endlessly praising God, glorifying him, celebrating him. In Nehemiah 12, the people of God have gathered together, and the praise of God is just naturally flowing out of their hearts. Why? Verse 43 tells us, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. With their joyful worship, the people are showing their gratitude to God. They're saying, God, you have made all of this and all of us new. You've restored us. You've gathered us as your people. And now as your people, we're going to express our gratitude and our thanksgiving to you for all that you've done, all that you are doing, all that you will continue to do in the future as well. This is one of the markers of God's people. God's people are a grateful people. Or or, or at least we should be a grateful people. Gratitude and thanksgiving towards God should be our default position as Christians. Why is that? We'll, We'll think about it for a moment. Of all people on earth, we should be people who recognize that we have been given a gift that we absolutely do not deserve. The most incredible gift by God because God, in his great love and in his infinite mercy, has graciously given us the free gift of salvation in and through his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that that what we deserve for our unfaithfulness, what the people deserved here for their unfaithfulness, was to be exiled, to be separated from God forever to never be able to come back into his presence, to never be able to worship him as they were created to do. What they deserved was death, separation from God. But the gospel also tells us that that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were his enemies, Christ died for us to reconcile us to God. 
to restore the broken relationship with him. And so as we live in light of the truth of the gospel, and as we lift our eyes to our Savior and our King Jesus, we can live every day with this undercurrent of gratitude and joyful worship to God. One of the the most natural ways that we express our gratitude to God is through singing, uh, singing praise to him. One commentator said this, it's only in biblical religion that the people of God are characteristically joyful and express their joy in great singing. See, being joyful as a believer, it doesn't mean that we're just happy clappy all the time and we never experience any sadness or that when life is hard that we, we have to somehow kind of pretend that it's all good. We sort of paint on this smile and walk around pretending that life isn't really hard, that we aren't sorrowful at times. No, being joyful as a believer means that we have this deep river of peace that runs underneath our experience of suffering and sadness and sorrow in this world. Joy which gives us hope, a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past which changes everything about our present. When we, like the people here in Nehemiah, sing with joy and thanksgiving to God, what are we doing? We are responding to the great and gracious acts of God in our lives. We do that both individually, yes, but corporately too. See the beautiful line that there is at the end of verse 43? And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. A joyful Christian, a joyful church is a powerful witness in this world. It's a powerful testimony to the goodness and grace of God. We think about declaring God's goodness and his glory and his grace in the world around us. Here is one of the ways that that happens. It's through our joy, through our joy in the Lord. What would it look like for people in this community around us to say that the joy of our church here at Village was heard far away, that they heard how joyful we were, and they wanted some of that joy as well. As they walked past here on a Sunday, and as we are inside here celebrating the goodness and glory of God, people walk past, and they hear that, and they want that. They long for that themselves. They long to come inside and have that joy and to experience what we're experiencing. Imagine if our homes were places just overflowing with joy and thanksgiving to God for what he's done. Imagine our kids growing up experiencing that kind of home environment. Imagine what that would do for them. Imagine our friends, our neighbors, who who we spend time with, who we invite into our homes. Imagine that was the kind of experience they had when they were with us. They just long to know what we know. They, they long to have a joy and a hope like we do. They want to taste and see for themselves that the Lord really is good. We can often think about kind of tools or, or strategies, ways to help us with our evangelism. Strategies that, that help us to actually go about doing evangelism. But I, I'm convinced as I read something like this that, that tools and strategies aren't really necessary when we're filled with the joy of the Lord. I don't think they are. When we're overflowing with praise and thankfulness to to God, nothing will stop us from speaking of him. Not fear, 
not apathy, not, not questioning what, how the other person might respond. It just naturally will flow out of us. The best evangelists are those who, who just can't help but speak of Jesus and how good he is and what he has done for them, how he's changed their life. That's what, when we look at the book of Acts, that's what we see. Just think of Peter and the apostles. They're, they're pulled in before the council of the Jews because they're, they're spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and they're told to stop. They're, tried, they're trying to silence them. And Peter just says, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. They are actually beaten for it and they leave rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. I just think it's amazing. They're so gripped by God's grace that they can't help but speak of the goodness of Jesus Christ. It's one of my big prayers at the moment for us as a church family, thinking about mission in our lives as a church. Having studied the book of Nehemiah, my prayer is that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Our strength each day to live for Jesus. Our strength each day on mission for him as we go to make him known in the world around us. I pray that our living for Jesus would be fueled and sustained by our joy and delight in him. That our desire to spend time with him, reading his word, praying to him, would be energized and empowered by our joy and thankfulness toward him. I pray we're a, we're a people who never lose our joy in the Lord. A, a people who are known by others as those who are so grateful to God. What we see here in Nehemiah 11 and 12 is the people of God are a gathered and a grateful people. And as I finish, and as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning as God's people, I want us just to, to, to come to the table uh, to sing praise to God as we will, remembering how grateful we can be towards him, remembering what he has done for us. Because uh, the people here in Nehemiah 11 and 12, they are praising God and celebrating and expressing their gra gratitude towards him, but that's only a partial picture for them of what God was doing and what God uh, was continuing to do in bringing about his plans and his purposes in the world. They were only seeing it through kind of a, a, a hazy picture because Israel are responding with, with joy and thanksgiving to God for their deliverance from captivity in Babylon. But how much more can we respond with praise and thanksgiving for, to God for our deliverance from sin and death through our Savior, Jesus Christ? We have been given an eternal deliverance, the promise of an eternal uh, life with him forever in and through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How much more can we be thankful for that? Israel is celebrating and thanking God for the restoration of the temple where they could worship him. But that was a temple that was eventually gonna be laid in waste again. But how much more can we now as God's people celebrate and express our thanks to God for the fact that through Jesus' once for all sacrifice, God has made a way for himself, not just to dwell with his people in a temple, in a physical dwelling place, but he actually dwells in his people, in each of us. We are now the temple of God. That's what Paul reminds the church of in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3. He says to them, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you know that this morning? That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God has not just chosen to make his home with us, but he's also chosen to make his home in us.
We have the very presence and power of Jesus living in us by his spirit. How much more can we sing and celebrate God's grace and kindness towards us? If Israel could celebrate that they had been restored and renewed uh, to be a blessing to the nations around them, how much more can we celebrate the work that God is doing in us and through us as he seeks to extend his kingdom and build his church here on earth now? We as the people of God, members of this church, we've been gathered, we've been rescued, given a new identity, promised the protection and the presence of Jesus by his spirit. We have so many reasons to be thankful to God. And this meal that we come and we celebrate each week is a meal which reminds us of those blessings. If you're a Christian this morning, as you come to the table this morning, you can come with joy and thanksgiving in your heart because Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you to bring you back to God, to bring us together as God's people, united in him, experiencing all the spiritual blessings that we could ever hope for or ever need in Jesus Christ. We come to the table with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. And, and if you're someone who's not a Christian this morning, maybe you're here, let me just say it's so good that you have gathered with us this morning. It's so good to have you here this meal, it isn't for you. It doesn't make sense unless you are part of God's people, one of uh, God's people here now. But the thing is, you can be counted among his people today because your being here is maybe a sign that God is calling you to himself, that he's calling you to put your trust in him. And maybe you're wondering, well, how can I respond to that call? What can I do? Well, the way to respond is to confess that you know you need him. That you know that apart from him, you can never stand before him because of your sin, because of your unfaithfulness. But it's also knowing that, that in Jesus Christ, you have the savior that you need. Through trusting in him, you have one who died on your behalf, one who died to offer you forgiveness from all of your sins one who died to take away your guilt before God so that you can stand before God as righteous. In Jesus, you can experience all the blessings and the promises of God being one of his people, counted in his gathered people. Put your trust in him today, and then this meal will be for you. Will you stand with me now? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing praise to God and come to the table as his people. Lord, thank you for your goodness towards us. Words can, can hardly express our gratitude, Lord. You're so good to us. You've been so faithful. Lord, we don't deserve any of it. As we gather here this morning, Lord, it's significant us being here. It's a sign of us being right with you, being able to stand before you in Jesus Christ, as those who are right, as those who are acceptable to you, through what Jesus Christ has done, we can approach your throne of grace with, with confidence, with boldness even. Lord, that is amazing for us to be able to say that. 
I pray, Lord, that, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, our strength to live for you, our strength to, to go each day and to share you through, through the words that we say, through the lives that we live out there amongst other people, Lord, who, who desperately need you, who desperately need the hope of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would never forget that we are your gathered people, but we're gathered for the purposes of declaring your glory and your goodness to the world around us. Lord, to be able to do that, we need to be those who are abiding in you. As John said, we, apart from you, Jesus, we can't do anything. And so I pray this morning that as we come to the table, Lord, just remind us again of all that you've done for us, of all that you're doing in us now, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that you would just lift our eyes to Jesus, that our joy would be restored. I pray, Lord, if there are any here this morning who haven't yet trusted in Jesus, that they would see that, that they are desperately in need of a saviour. That today, Lord, if they stand apart from you, that they will never be able to stand before you. I pray that they would see that though in Jesus, in Jesus, they have a saviour who died so that they can come to you and so that they can know you forever and the blessings of knowing you forever, Lord. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing, gathering your people to yourself, gathering us together, and I pray that we would declare and, and, and just display your glory to the world out there. I pray these things in Jesus' name.